G'day and welcome to episode 24 of The Other Side Australia, your weekly summary of the news and commentary of the week from a sensible centre-right perspective. Coming to you on the discernible platform, all the usual podcast platforms and the Good Source channel. This week, a show that I really want our open-minded left-wing audience to stay and watch. We do have a left-leaning audience segment of smart, thoughtful people who care enough to want to listen to the other side, and you're very welcome here. In a moment, we're going to hear from a left-wing icon who is as worried about what's happening to civil liberties with COVID hysteria as those of us on the right are. Most of our show this week is dedicated to this very important topic and the abuse of power in our country and across the liberal democratic world. I hope this will be the one social justice issue on which we can all unite. Let's go. We're kicking off the show this week with our liberalism education segment today. And this week, it's a bit of a history lesson. I grew up in Joe Bielke Peterson's Queensland as a rebellious youngster appalled by the police state that surrounded me. Since a lot of kids today seem to think a police state is a good thing, here's a look at what a peaceful protest looked like in Queensland during the state of emergency in 1982. And I apologise to our podcast listeners who can't see these images, but I do need to show them to make a quick point. Righto, you kids. I heard you swearing. I'm putting you up. In the 1980s, we saw some horrible stuff happening to our friends. Police verbaling, where corrupt police would just arrest people and make up stuff they said when appearing in court. Raids on the homes of journalists and young activists who dared to speak out against the government and the planting of drugs on them sometimes. The police involved, ensuring that they made a maximum mess of the homes while they were raiding them. The complete banning of street marches and the imposition of the state of emergency. Worst of all, the gerrymandering of the electoral system, so that Sir Joe could hold on to government with just 18% of the Brisbane city vote, and a person from rural Queensland's vote could be worth as much as five times a city person's. Now, I'm a conservative-leaning classical liberal. Joe was a fantastic economy builder and free market liberal. He was a great leader in many ways, but he had zero respect for the conventions of liberal democracy. In fact, he may not have even understood them. He was charming in his naivety in some ways. But he was surrounded by and taken advantage of by others who were much more criminal and evil. It all made for a fantastic period in the Brisbane underground music and art scene, but it was small consolation. It all came crashing down for Joe in the late 80s when some brave journalism and a couple of defiant pollies helped launch the Fitzgerald inquiry into police and electoral corruption. The system changed and we soon had a good centrist Labor government to reform everything under the brilliant young Premier Wayne Goss. So forgive me if I find today's rebellious youth a little bit pathetic at standing up for civil liberties and human rights and preventing the politicisation of the police force. Australia's three Labor premiers are every bit 
as guilty of using the police force as a political tool as Joe Bjorki-Peterson ever was. And they do it in a much more sneaky way. This was how Melbourne police managed an anti-vax protest on the weekend. Now, if you don't like anti-vax protesters, just imagine in your mind right now any group of citizens campaigning peacefully for your favourite cause. And ask yourself if this is a little on the overkill side of things. In Sydney, a far more peaceful show as protesters marched with their message. Could the contrast be any more clear? Melbourne, a 21st century Labour Party state, versus Sydney, not a 21st century Labour Party state. So where are all my old lefty mates from the 80s? Sadly, a lot of them are either in the government bureaucracies who are doing this, many at a senior level, or they're cheering from the sidelines. They, and their political party, have clearly lost their way since late last century. If you still doubt whether the policing is politicised or not, let's take a look at a bit more of what happened in Melbourne this weekend, courtesy of our friend, the real Rushkan. Now, I don't support the anti-vax movement, but I do support liberty. So my opinions overlap there with these people, and I respect 110% their right to peacefully protest, whether they're anti-vax or just anti-coercion or force-vax or just pro-liberty. They were peacefully protesting. There was nothing scary about this event. It could have been a staff picnic and would probably have wrapped up and everyone would have gone home without incident had the police not shown up. So is this the kind of response that we think is proportional and acceptable from our police service in what's supposed to be a free and liberal democracy? Apologies to our podcast listeners again, but those of you on video now, take a look. It's called kettling when police surround protesters. It's a tactic you might use at a violent protest to isolate the troublemakers. Not just to create trouble unless you want to for political purposes. 20 people all up were arrested and charged. Demonstrations have taken place in all the major cities before the COVID vaccine rollout begins on Monday. Victoria Police says 15 people will receive penalty notices. Now compare that with the way police handled this protest in Melbourne on Australia Day. It's all very civilised and peaceful, and the police, a much smaller number of them, remain far back and respectful. No unnecessary provocation. Now, I'm not complaining. That is how protests should be handled. Let the people express themselves, even though I strongly disagree with this group. But this leaves zero doubt that the Victorian police force is applying double standards based on political grounds. And that is what makes this the same and maybe even worse, 
than the Queensland I grew up in. What's also concerning to me as a former journalist is the lack of concern from the media or the journalists' union, the MEAA, about this sort of thing. Melbourne Herald Sun reporter Olivia Jenkins and senior photographer Jake Nowakowski were led away by police in handcuffs as the anti-vax demonstration was unnecessarily moved in on by the police. Are Victorian police unable to tell a reporter from a protester? She's the one who looks like a reporter with a press pass around her neck and her notebook in her hand and with the guy who's a photographer from her newspaper beside her. It's the Keystone Cops on Hyperdrive down there. I'm a very pro-police kind of person, but this isn't policing. This is full-blown police state-style political bullying. And Olivia is a mainstream media reporter. God help you if you work for an even slightly controversial independent news outfit like Avi Yemeni from Rebel News, who had this experience this week trying to cover Dan Andrews' news conference at Victoria's State Parliament House. So the Premier called his press conference for 10.15am in Parliament Gardens. So I got there a few minutes early. Hey, guy, mate, we're here for the press conference. Where are you from, mate? Rebel News. There you go. Do you see my ID? What news was it? Rebel News. A media pass there, mate? Yep. After a couple minutes, security came to the gate, double-checked my media accreditation and let me in. But as I approached the garden where the rest of the media were waiting for the press conference to begin, a different group of PSOs suddenly surrounded and stopped me. Happy, yeah. Um, Not a parliament grounds. In the interest of security and good order of parliament? Sorry? In the interest of security and good order of parliament, an authorised officer under parliamentary precincts act. We're asking to leave. Hold on, so I want to understand. So this is a press conference. The media is... In the interest of security and good order of parliament It's not communist China. You can't shut down certain media that's... Actually, it is like communist China. And what's astounding is that not one of those journalists standing under that tree turned a camera or their interest to the news story that was unfolding right under their noses. Not one. In the 1980s, as a young reporter at 3AW down at State Parliament, we'd have been all over it. I'm happy here. I'm going to wait because what he's trying to do is actually unlawful. We're not in... You don't have to like our network, but you can't... um... You can't expel us from a press conference. Then suddenly I see Daniel Andrews himself walking towards me. Mr Premier, do you think it's okay for the media to be shut down at your press conference just because they criticise you? Mr Premier, are you okay with this? This seems a bit like communist China, not Victoria. I didn't realise at the time why he didn't even look my way as if he was purposely avoiding me but as you're about to see not only is the premier okay with it his office ordered my removal i've never seen such a thing from a democratic leader removing journalists they don't like neither have i now a lot of you will probably be saying oh that's rv guy whatever he's from rebel news aren't they a bit right wing whatever that means anymore but that's not the point The point is there were six police officers looking military and menacing and behaving like pure bureaucratic robots, implementing the orders of a premier who believes he's above scrutiny in front of a press pack that is suffering from groupthink on a level I've never seen in my professional career outside communist countries. And the Australian Journalists Association, part of the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance, are nowhere to be seen. 
We asked for a comment and got no reply. Nor is the police association asking why their members are being used as a political enforcement body. Why? Well, maybe it's because they're unions, not real professional associations. And it's left-wing politics they'd have to stand up against here. If you're a member of the MBAA like me or any police association in Australia, I'd urge you to complain and have your voice heard before it's too late. The job of police in a liberal democracy is not the suppression of peaceful protests or the propping up of politicians. It's the prevention of violent crime. I think the real Rushkan illustrated the hypocrisy brilliantly in this video, comparing the non-arrest of violent gang members with the arrest of an anti-lockdown protester back in September. On that evening, it was deemed by the tactical police commander at that time that the most appropriate approach was to disperse those youths. We had our operational response unit, our um, public order response teams there, and they were dispersed. Would I have liked to have seen people arrested at that time? Yes, obviously, if we could have, I would have loved to have seen more people arrested then because we just dispersed the group. But let's not second guess that tactical commander on the street. So I support what they've done. We've now got a subsequent investigation flowing into that and that investigation will continue to determine whether we can arrest anybody. I really do hope that the left is starting to wake up to what's going on here. This should be stuff that the anti-authoritarian left and the anti-authoritarian right can unite upon. Unfortunately, Australia is not the only place where this is happening. Fox News' Tucker Carlson this week reminded us of some incidents in Canada and the UK. This footage, for example, was shot New Year's Eve in the Canadian city of Gatineau. A group of friends gathered in a private home. No one was selling fentanyl, no one plotting a homicide. Just a group of relentlessly polite Canadians celebrating the New Year. Apparently somebody called the police, and here's what happened next. That's pretty shocking. But what happened after that may be worse than the footage you just saw. The police fined everyone at the gathering $1,500 apiece, and then they arrested the owner of the home. Now, he wasn't charged with attacking a cop or spreading COVID, which no one claimed he did. No, his crime was described as, quote, refusing to provide personal information to the authorities. So they barged into his home, and when he didn't answer the right questions quickly enough, they arrested him. Now, that is not a public health measure. It is intentional humiliation. Canada's so-called Liberal Party didn't have a problem with any of this, neither did the supposedly Liberal Prime Minister. No one in Canada seemed to. And not just Canada. The entire Anglosphere is moving toward authoritarianism that nobody seems to be noticing. In the formerly free UK last weekend, a group of people in West Midlands created what authorities later described as, and if you've got kids and we want to warn you, this could be shocking, a, quote, makeshift club with a bar, VIP area, and a dance room with a DJ. Yes, a DJ. So naturally, the authorities sprang into action. They dispatched a thermal imaging helicopter. They kicked down doors. It was a threat worse than ISIS, and they acted like it.
in there. Stay in there. Everybody keep calm. Everybody keep calm. And a good friend sent me this video meme yesterday of a cute kid in the US explaining what COVID means to her. I started thinking she was so cute when I was watching it, and she is, but then it just made me really, really sad. Everything in this world has to shut all the way down to nobody has to go anywhere because of their shutdown. The ice cream, the ice cream truck is shut down. And, and the ice and the water truck place is shut down, which is my favorite part because it, because it has my favorite one. What's that? Yeah, it has the gumball one where there's gumballs and there's like blues. You can pick up McDonald's in the drive-thru. No, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. You can. You can go in the drive-thru, but you can't go in the playground. Yeah, it's just really frustrating. You, the, if you go through the drive-thru, it's just boring because you have to wait for your view to come. And if you're inside playing on the playground, it wouldn't be boring. Yeah. And now they have to shut down. <laughs> Morning when you wait for food to come. Yeah. And now that everything in this town has to go all the way down. And I just don't want it to do that. I mean, why would germs come around to people if they don't want germs to come around to them? What are we doing? Why are we doing this? At least the centre-left and centre-right can be united on this since we all support liberty, don't we? One of the left's favourite writers and social commentators certainly thinks so. Naomi Wolf is a well-known lefty, not someone you'd expect to see on Fox News, but she's a wake-up to what's going on. And she told Tucker Carlson this week that under the guise of a real medical pandemic, we are now moving into a coup situation, a police state situation, she says. As you say, that transcends everything you and I might agree or disagree on right. that should bring together left and right to protect our constitution. We're absolutely moving into what I call step 10. Um, I wrote a book in which I pointed out there were 10 steps that would be tyrants always take when they want to close down a democracy. Whether they're on the left or the right, they always do the same 10 things. And now we're at something I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. You described it really, really well. It is step 10, and that's the, the suspension of the rule of law. Um, that's when you start to be a police state, and we're here. There's no way around it. Tucker Carlson then asked Wolf why she thinks a lot of people are not seeing what's going on. She said people are seeing it, but we're not organized enough to do anything about it. 
I'm in touch with many patriots from all backgrounds and all walks of life who are horrified. Um, I interviewed, for instance, Moms for Liberty, a group of conservative moms in Florida who are mobilizing to try to get schools open. They're so worried about what's happening to their kids. And I talked to a mom, Jen Say, a famous gymnast and activist in San Francisco on the left, who's also a mom who's horrified. Um, I, you know, I've, I've interviewed doctors. I've interviewed, you know, ordinary people, restaurant owners from all walks of life who are absolutely un, unable to even articulate their fear and horror, recognizing that the state has now crushed businesses, kept us from gathering in, in free assembly to worship, as the First Amendment provides, is invading our bodies, as you mentioned, which is a violation of the Fourth Amendment, is uh, restricting movement, um, fining us here in New York State. I could be fined $15,000 a day if I gather people, you know, more than 10 or 25 people, depending on where in New York State I live. There is no real science underlying a lot of these closures. It's because autocratic tyrants at the state and now the, the national level are, are creating a kind of merger of corporate power and government power, which is really characteristic of Italian fascism in the 20s. Um, and they're, they're using that to engage in kind of emergency orders that that simply strip us of our rights, rights to property, rights to assembly, rights to worship. This has all been very sudden. Um, and when you look back, you know, March of 2020, a lot of things started to move that kind of locked into place a set of policies that are kind of 360 degree full right. on totalitarian policies. So I think a lot of us are kind of in culture shock. Uh, luckily or unluckily, I've been studying closing democracies for 12 years. So I recognized early on, you know, once once I realized New York State had emergency powers, I know from history that no one gives up emergency powers willingly. Right. Uh, they always drag it on and drag it on. And so every month I'm getting in my email an announcement that Governor Cuomo is extending emergency measures, extending emergency measures. Uh, only from studying history do I know how predictable it is when you start to have um, elected officials say we are not going to follow the Constitution because it, there's a pandemic. Wow. That's former Clinton advisor, author and social commentator Naomi Wolf. So that brings me back to Victoria, a place that likes to think of itself as Australia's little New York. Moves by Dan Andrews to extend the state of emergency in Victoria all the way through to December looks set to fail this week, much to the joy of those who see the move as a blanket power grab that infringes on Victorians' basic human rights and is completely unnecessary to effectively manage COVID. One minor party MP, Fiona Patton, announced last Wednesday that she would vote against the bill and instead wants the government to create laws specific to the pandemic. Patton says when she compromised last year on a six-month extension to the state of emergency, it was on the basis that the government would bring forward pandemic-specific laws that would make the blanket laws of the state of emergency unnecessary. But they haven't done that. The six-month extension now finishes on March 16, and Dan Andrews wants it extended until December this year. Patton says... We need laws that allow the government to continue to protect public health, but that let us live in a state of COVID normal, not a state of emergency. Patton has a meeting with the Premier this Wednesday to discuss further. Let's hope she doesn't change her mind. The state of emergency gives Victoria's Chief Health Officer the powers to, quote, do what is necessary to contain the spread of COVID-19. 
The Liberal National Opposition in Victoria is seeking to amend the proposed law so the state of emergency can only be extended one month at a time with parliamentary approval, not just government approval. The Liberals say this is to put Andrews on a short leash. Their proposed changes would also force the government to make public secret health advice that's now only allowed to be seen by members of the cabinet, Andrews and his ministers. One MP who won't be supporting the bill to extend the state of emergency is the Liberal Democratic Party's David Limbrick. Limbrick told Discernible's Matthew Wong this week that the Victorian ombudsman, Deborah Glass, had already issued a scathing report in December seeking certain changes to protect human rights. So he's introducing proposed amendments to the bill along those lines. So what I thought is why don't we uh, implement the recommendation that the Ombudsman has put forward in this report? What are her recommendations? So one of the things that she said about... So it's all to do with people being detained under the, under the emergency powers. And she came up with uh, a few things that were highly deficient, very, very basic human rights issues. So firstly, um, the ability for someone to... Uh, appeal their detention so she said so we can't appeal right now i think you can appeal to the cho but yeah. um yeah it, it's not very clear the sure. appeals process so she said that they should be able to appeal either through the cho or through vcat vcat gee. um so we put forward part of the amendment to enable that the other thing is to uh enable Anyone that's detained, they need to be given the reasons and the conditions on why they're being detained. Radical, as you can yeah. see. Radical. <laughs> and they need to be uh, given their rights, like told what their rights are and how they can appeal and this sort of thing, in a language that they can understand. Right. So you've adopted that into the LDP's yep. amendment? So that's in the amendment as well, to give them that information on their rights and ability to review or complain. Uh, and also... Uh, give them access, the right to access to fresh air and exercise. So, yeah. So this is something that they didn't have. They were locked in their houses oh. for days. Um, yeah, so it, I mean, it's you pretty said, basic. Interesting off-air, you said worse than prisoners. Yeah, well, prisoners have the right to fresh air and exercise. Um, I can't believe that you having to go and fight for fresh air and exercise for our people. That is nuts. Yeah, it's, it was... Um, yeah, it's pretty awful that, uh, you know, free citizens can be treated worse than prisoners. Uh, and that's pretty much what happened in the housing tower lockdown. You know, they had no access to fresh air and exercise. Uh, so... Is that the end of the amendments? Yep. Okay, so that's so, it. Very let, simple. So let me make this point. I'm not... In, and it sounds like for these you as well. We're not interested in booting Dan out of Parliament like some people are screaming about right now. What we're interested is interested in is maintaining the basic human dignity and welfare of our people in Victoria. That's what your amendments are about. So if this gets knocked on the head by Labor, this amendment by the LDP, what a scandal. Yeah, well, um, we're trying to make it so that, you know, I, I, like it would be, I can't see why you would want to oppose this. Well, watch this space. Just, I'm just setting it up so that when he does play silly buggers later on, if he does, and he tries to slam this down, we know we're trying to get people to have fresh air and exercise and the ability to know why they're in detention and to appeal to VCAT. I mean, basic mm. stuff. Very basic. That's David Limbrick speaking to our Matt Wong this week. Now, about those laws that would give the government the powers they need to manage COVID without 
giving them crazy blanket powers. You know, the ones Andrews was supposed to have in place well before March 16. Well, even though Dan and the Labor Party haven't done their homework on time, some smart friends are saying that they can copy off theirs if they like. A group of prominent Melbourne lawyers have drafted their own laws, as Mr Limbrick explains. So for a long time, the government's been saying, oh, we can't have this special legislation for quarantine. You know, we can't do it. It's too hard. And apparently in the background, there's been a bunch of senior lawyers that have said, well, we think that's bulldust. Uh, and they've proven that by coming up with some draft legislation. Very um, senior. Can I say that they're QCs? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Very so, senior. Well-experienced lawyers. Yeah. yeah. And so um, they reached out to me yesterday. Uh, I'm still going through what they're proposing, but effectively what it is is a sunsetted set of powers that mm. would sunset at the same time as the state of emergency. So um, December, December. <clears throat> gives them the ability to detain people for quarantine, yeah. um, gives them the ability to uh, compel people to wear masks on public transport. Right. And they've also stated if there's other powers that the government needed for that period of time, then you know they could put them in there. Yeah. But what it would enable is the state of emergency to be ended immediately and go forward until December with these special powers. That's Victorian State Upper House MP David Limbrick from the Liberal Democratic Party, speaking with a very happy Matt Wong there. I don't know what that is, but there you go. The full interview is on our discernible page on Facebook and YouTube, and it is well worth checking out. Speaking of little dictators with no respect for civil liberties, Western Australia's Premier McGowan. A news poll published in the Australian newspaper shows McGowan is likely to annihilate the Liberal Party. I'm starting to wonder if the party isn't trying to lose these state elections. The election is on March 13 in Western Australia, just a couple of weeks to go, and Labor is ahead of the Liberals 68 to 32 on a two-party preferred basis. So the punishment that Premier McGowan gets for acting tough during COVID is a 12.5% swing to his own party. The problem isn't the politicians, Australia. It's us. We keep rewarding the wrong behaviour and we keep drinking the Kool-Aid that they're keeping us safe with their excessive measures. No, they're keeping themselves safe. They're wrecking the rest of us. If that swing actually happens, the Liberal Party will be left with just two lower house seats. Only 10% of respondents said that 33-year-old Zach Kirkup was their preferred premier compared to McGowan's rating of 88%. Kirkup said he rejected the poll's findings entirely. So would I if I was him. But the Liberal Party can't. The party cannot win elections unless it offers a clearly defined product that is differentiated from the product being offered by Labor. Zach didn't do that. And the decision by Craig Kelly to leave the Liberal Party this week is not a step in the right direction. The party is a broad church, as John Howard used to like to say, but if it keeps on with this wishy-washy vague positioning on so many issues and reactive government-by-market research, more and more people who want real change will follow Kelly out the door. ScoMo needs a strategy shift. You're watching and listening to The Other Side Australia with Damien Curry, your weekly summary of Australia's best news and commentary for the week from a sensible centre-right perspective. We've got lots more to come on the show this week. Please stay with us. You won't agree with everything I say, but you'll be entertained by it. In a moment, we'll find out what it means to be Fauci'd. 
Yes, it's a thing. And a very important update on the United States position on China that should be top of mind for all Aussies, especially the young. We'll hear about what Donald Trump is up to these days and what he's planning for the future. Will he run in 2024? Maybe. And our comedy segment, all still to come. Stay with us. So, have you been Fauci'd lately? Apparently it's a thing now. Fauciing someone is the American term named in honour of COVID health chief Dr. Fauci for not showing up or visiting friends or relatives because you're afraid of catching COVID-19. Here's how Fox News's Laura Ingram reported the news this week. I want your reaction to the latest okay. dating craze, Raymond. It involves <laughs> Dr. Love himself. Well, Dr. Doom himself, Anthony Fauci. <laughs> There's actually a term in dating now called Fauciing someone. Do you know what that means? No, what does it mean? <laughs> uh, it means cutting off a relationship if you don't think that that other person is serious enough about social distancing and taking the pandemic seriously. Like, oh, I Fauciied <laughs> that guy. I'm going to Fauci you. <laughs> oh, my Laura, God. Any man or woman who uses this term should be told, go Fauci yourself. A very important phone call took place this week that has big implications for Australia and the Asia-Pacific region. Presidents Joe Biden of the US and Xi Jinping of China had their first call, and the aftermath isn't looking good. The official China report after the call said that China and the US should, quote, re-establish mechanisms for dialogue so that there'd be an accurate understanding of each other's policies to avoid miscalculations. It said that Hong Kong, Taiwan and Xinjiang, that's the province where the Uyghurs are from, were China's domestic affairs, that the US should respect China's core interests and act with caution. Hmm. The official report on the call from the White House says Biden raised concerns about China's economic practices and human rights abuses with the Uyghurs, as well as what he called China's increasingly assertive actions in the region, including toward Taiwan. Here's how Biden explained the call during that CNN town hall he did this week. You just talked to China's president. Yes, for two hours. What about the, the Uyghurs? What about the human we, rights abuses? We must China? speak up for human rights. It's who we are. We can't, my comment to him was, and I know him well and he knows me well. We're a two-hour conversation. You talked about this to him. I talked about this too. And that's not so much refugee, but I talked about it. I said, look, you know, Chinese leaders, if you know anything about Chinese history, it has always been the time when China has been victimized by the outer world is when they haven't been unified at home. So the central, oh, to vastly overstated, the central principle of Xi Jinping is that there must be a united, tightly controlled China. And he uses his rationale for the things he does based on that. I point out to him, no American president can be sustained as a president if he doesn't reflect the values of the United States. And so the idea, I'm not going to speak out against what he's doing in Hong Kong, what he's doing with the Uyghurs in western mountains of, of uh, China and Taiwan trying to end the one China policy by making it forceful. I, I said, and by the way, he said he, he gets it. Culturally, there are different norms at each country and they, their leaders are expected to follow. President Biden was heavily criticised for those comments, making it sound a bit like he was making excuses or acting as an apologist for China, as if he was saying to Xi Jinping, it's OK, 
you can keep doing all that stuff with the Uyghurs and Hong Kong and Taiwan. I'll, I'll just have to speak out about it now and again, but, but you can ignore that. It's just cultural norms. But my point was that when I came back from meeting with him and traveling 17,000 miles with him, when I was vice president, he was the vice president. That's how I got to know him so well, at the request of President Hu, not a joke, his predecessor, President Hu, and President Obama wanted us to get to know one another because he was going to be the president. And I came back and said they're going to end their their one-child policy because they're so xenophobic, they won't let anybody else in, and more people are retired than working. How can they sustain economic growth when more people are retired? Okay, so I think he's trying to make the point there that China has an increasing number of retirees. But no, there are not more people retired than working in China. The workforce is around three quarters of a billion people. And the number of people aged over 60, not all of whom are retired, is only around one quarter of a billion. Quite a gap. Anderson Cooper then pressed the president about whether his earlier comment meant that America would be sitting back and letting China get away with its human rights abuses at home and its encroachment on the independence of Taiwan. When you talk to him, though, about human rights abuses, is that just is that as far as it goes in terms of the U.S. or is there any actual repercussions for China? Well, there will be repercussions for China, and he knows that. What I'm doing is making clear that we, in fact, are going to continue to reassert our role as spokespersons for human rights at the U.N. and other other agencies that have an impact on their attitude. China is trying very hard to become the world leader. And to get that moniker and to be able to do that, they have to gain the confidence of other countries. And as long as they're engaged in activity that is contrary to basic human rights, it's going to be hard for them to do that. But it's much more complicated than I shouldn't have tried to talk China policy in, in 10 minutes on television. Probably not. Those later comments were a little more promising than the earlier ones. Let's hope he delivers and keeps the pressure on China and doesn't excuse their behaviour as just different cultural norms. Donald Trump has been speaking with existing social media companies and with others about the possibility of joining their platforms or starting his own. When Twitter banned Trump, the company's shares sank below where they opened in the company's trading debut in 2013. Trump had 88 million followers on Twitter. But Twitter is now thriving in the stock market, up 33% so far this year. Experts say that's thanks to product improvements. The question is, will the rally hold when and if Trump emerges elsewhere? Donald Trump's senior advisor, Jason Miller, confirmed to Sky News' Shari Markson this week that talks are underway. There have been uh, conversations and meetings already to this point. I think there's a very good chance President Trump could set up his own social media platform, uh, in which case, uh, regardless of, of what the platform is, it's going to be the biggest once he joins it. Uh, there are a couple of existing platforms that they're kicking the tires on and really seeing if that's something that he could go and join. Of course, uh, that would be uh, that'd be great company to invest in or be a part of because it would uh, grow immensely uh, overnight if President Trump did go and join it. Miller told Shari Markson that Republicans who are attacking Trump at the moment need to realise a thing or two. 
the reality is if you're attacking President Trump at this point, you're really attacking the Republican Party overall. Because we see very closely the Republican Party wants President Trump. He's not only the current uh, flag bearer of the party, but he's also the future flag bearer of the party. And he's the person that everybody really rallies around. Do you think for certain Trump wants to run again as presidential candidate? I hope so. Uh, I definitely hope so. I mean, well, you, you speak to him uh, every day. What, what's he saying? <laughs> Uh, I think if the election were next week, I think he would definitely uh, look to go and run. Uh, obviously, several years down the road, is, it, it could be a little bit of a different story. We'll see where the world is, uh, what uh, what shifts or what could be different. But I think if I think President Trump definitely uh, would like to uh, run again. No decision, just to be clear, no decision has been, has been made yet. Uh, but I hope he does. I hope he does run again. I think, as we saw, President Trump brought in a record-setting amount of African-American, Latino-American uh, voters into the party, really, really growing the party into in, in a way that we've never seen before. We want to keep those folks in the fold, and we can only do that with President Trump. That's Donald Trump's senior advisor, Jason Miller, in an exclusive interview with Sky News's Shari Markson. Miller said Trump is in Palm Beach at the moment. He said if Trump decides to run again, the first steps will be to pursue electoral reform and to work on getting Republicans elected to the House of Representatives and the Senate in the midterm 2022 elections. He's chomping at the bit, ready to get back at it, and he's taking a look at what uh, Joe Biden's doing already in this first month, month and a half of his presidency, and President Trump is really concerned about where Joe Biden's taking things. Well, as we just mentioned, President Biden did a CNN town hall this week in the city of Milwaukee. And just like the town hall he did before the election, this one wasn't too challenging. Hey, Anderson. How are you, sir? Good to see you, man. Hey, folks. How are you? Good to be back, man. That's nice to see you, sir. And you know you enjoy being home with the baby more. I don't want to hear that. <laughs> I do, yes. Yeah, he's nine and a half months, so I, I'm very I happy. It. No, no. Everybody knows I like kids better than people. I, over your career, you've already spent a great deal of time at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Except now you're living there and you're president. It's been four weeks. What's it like? How's it different? I get up in the morning and look at Jill and say, where the hell are we? Uh, no, it's, um, look, it's, uh, you know, I, I've only been president four weeks. And sometimes, uh, because things are moving so fast, not because of burden, it feels like four years. It's not because of the burden, it's because there's so much happening that you focus on, you're constantly focusing on one pro problem or opportunity, one right odd seriatim. But what happens is that it's uh, what I didn't realize, I had been in the Oval Office a hundred times as vice president or more, more than that, um, every morning uh, for the initial meetings but I had never been up in the residence. Now, much has been made about comments from President Biden that minorities don't know how to get online to access COVID vaccines. Take a listen. The, uh, the other part, portion is a lot of people don't know how to register. Not everybody in the community, in the Hispanic and the African-American community, particularly in uh, uh, rural areas that are distant and or inner city districts know how to use, 
know how to get online to determine how to get in line for that COVID vaccination at the, at the Walgreens or at, at, at the particular store. So we're also, I've committed to spend a billion dollars on public education to help people figure out how they can get in there. That's we're also trying to set up mass vaccination centers like places in stadiums and the like. This show is not about taking cheap shots, so I'm not going to, as other commentators have, suggest that this is some kind of indication of some underlying racism. It's not. Joe is genuinely concerned here, I think, for those who simply can't get online. But it's always amusing, isn't it, when people who push identity politics perfection in speech and thought, like most of the left, trip over themselves. And I can't help imagining how the self-righteous lefties on Twitter would have reacted if Donald Trump had said something like that. But we shall take the high road. And that brings us to our comedy segment for the week. Although the whole world seems like a bit of a comedy at the moment. This was my favourite laugh of the week. The top of that list is the Victorian government. Without you, we could not have done this. Watch the guy in the background, it's gold. The top of that list is the Victorian government. Without you, we could not have done this. Fantastic. This week's comedy special comes from the wonderful Dry Bar Comedy site on YouTube. We'll put the link in the program notes. It's comedy that everyone in the family can watch together, no profanities. And the only people that'll offend are the woke kids, which makes it all the funnier if you ask me. Here's a snippet of US comedian Orlando Baxter to take us out today. My name is Orlando Baxter, and if you can't tell by my accent, uh, yeah, I'm black. So. <laughs> I know that's obvious to most of you guys in here, but I grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood, predominantly Hispanic, and they all thought I was Dominican because I could roll my R's. Yeah. <laughs> Like, whenever I say my name, I'll be like, hi, I'm Orlando. <laughs> and they get real excited, you know? They'll be like, Orlandito! Orlando, que vaso! And then I'd have to tell them the truth. Sorry, I'm basketball black, not baseball black. <laughs> the only thing I didn't like about uh, growing up in that neighborhood is I, I got picked on a lot uh, because I wore glasses. Anybody wear glasses in here? See, I, I, didn't, I didn't have the thin kind, though. I had the thick kind that attract bullies, you know? Like, bullies would get excited when they see me walking. They would talk to me the way, uh, like they were construction workers, you know? Every time I'd walk by, they'd be like, woo-wee! Look at the lenses on that one right there, woo! That's all pupil right there. I bet he does all the homework, look at him. It was terrible. I get bullied. Cause you're skinny and you're black and you wear glasses, Urkel. <laughs> Everywhere I went, Urkel. <laughs> I remember the first time I ever got bullied, I was sitting in class, I'm sitting there and I'm doing my work, just trying to concentrate, doing my work. This older kid was like, yo, Urkel, do something Urkely before I punch you in your face. I didn't know what Urkely meant. <laughs> so I picked up my pencil and I stabbed him. <laughs> he was laying on the ground. I was like, did I do that? 
way to the beach. I stopped at a store, walked in, asked the lady at the counter, I said, hey, ma'am, uh, can you point me in the aisle where the sunblock's at? She looked at me and said, for what? <laughs> I was annoyed. I was like, because I got a white girl tied up in my trunk, that's why. <laughs> Which is rude. <laughs> but why should I be the only one uncomfortable in the situation, right? <laughs> and then she goes, you know, I had no idea black people use sunblock. <laughs> and at this point in the conversation, I, I, I probably should have walked away. <laughs> but I was curious, you know? I said, what do you think we use? She said, no, 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 I won't say. She said, no, 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 tell me. What do you think we use? I said, no, no, I won't say. I said, listen, I ain't gonna tell nobody. Clearly, I was lying, right? <laughs> she goes, well, I just, I just thought y'all had the ability. I said, ability? <laughs> like a superhero or something? She said, no, I just thought y'all had the ability to absorb the sun. I said, what? <laughs> I've never heard that before in my life. I couldn't get mad at her. I asked the question. I just looked at her. And I said, ma'am, I don't know where you get your information from, but just because we're darker than you doesn't mean our skin's made out of solar panels. <laughs> you think black people go to the beach all day to charge up, just be laying out there? <laughs> Come on, son, give it to me so I can run faster. <laughs> oh, yeah. The very, very funny Orlando Baxter at the Dry Bar Comedy site on YouTube. Check it out. And that's it for another week, everybody. Thank you again for joining us. Please remember to subscribe at Discernible on YouTube. Become a member of the Discernible crew. I mean, you don't know when we're going to disappear from Facebook or YouTube. So get on the Discernible crew list. Our website is discernible.io. Or you can subscribe to The Other Side Australia on Apple, Spotify, and the Good Source platform. And tell your friends about the show. Share, share, share if you want to support us. And we'll see you next week. In the meantime, don't let the woke kids get you down. Discernible.